Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. Hey there, Tomorrow's Leaders. So I got a great guest for you today, Noor. David Noor, as I call him, Noor, is the author of a new book called Curvebenders, and he's been working with companies and executives for 20-something years around the whole concept of change and innovation and also building networks and relationships and how to do it and the essential ingredients of being an effective leader. So really, really good stuff. I think you're going to pick out a lot of good nuggets out of this. And here is Noor. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I'm John Lerito, your host today with a great guest. I've got David Noor, otherwise known as Noor, uh, who is an innovation consultant and the author of the recently released book, Curvebenders. Noor, great to have you on the show. John, it's good to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know we were chatting a little bit. I'd love to start off with your story. I love your background. I think it's great for people to understand this. You came from Iran, $100 in your pocket. Um, you've become a great success, author of 11 books and very, very successful business, consulting large, large organizations. Walk us through. I mean, how did you get from that point to where you are now? Sure. Very kind of you to mention that. Yeah, I, I genuinely believe I'm the product of two very distinct cultures. So mom and dad are you know, retired teachers. The old Shaw had an exchange program where we went to Kuwait in 72 and they taught you know persian literature persian history revolution happens they realized there wouldn't be a whole lot of future for me in iran so they send me here uh live with an aunt and uncle that i hadn't seen since birth finished high school here got my eagle scout here and my career has really been you know three phases early on was technology ibm silicon graphics business objects then consulting the predecessor to pwc and then president of a company, uh, then some private equity work. And then 20 years ago, I actually decided to go out on my own. So hung my own shingles and I've been blessed to work with some amazing clients. But a lot of what I know, what I coach, what I teach and develop in others, it really is that what I believe the best of both cultures from the Middle East, tightly knit, love on people, certainly the Western culture that talks a lot about performance, execution and results. I love it. And you talk and teach and write a lot about relationships. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, that was that's something that I think leaders sometimes don't necessarily think of that as being one of the core uh, skill sets or competencies or ingredients of being a successful leader. Tell us a little bit about that. No question. I'm, I'm going to go one step further. They, they continue to call it a, a soft skill where we've proven quantifiably that it can set leaders apart. So the reason mm -hmm. I brought up my background as well is that if you've ever worked abroad or lived abroad, you and your audience realize that the rest of the world builds relationships first from which they do business. Unfortunately, as Americans or even Westerners, we're so focused on the business part, John, that if and only if that project, that initiative or that deal gets done, then we'll think about building a relationship. Hence the disconnect when we go into places and people don't look like us, sound like us or come from our backgrounds. So I coach 
leaders, emerging leaders, if you lead with the relationship first, think of it as the arrowhead versus the feathers at the tail end of the arrow, it's amazing how much you'll get done much more efficiently, much more impactfully. And we've proven if you can become intentional, quantifiable, and strategic about those relationships, it can absolutely help you outpace your competitive peers. Mm, that's interesting. I think a lot of leaders uh, think about it as I just I need to be great at what I do. I need to be effective, but they almost brush by the relationship piece, and it's it's costly. A absolutely. Or they talk about networking, and I remind them networking is one letter away from not working. Right? It's just highly <laughs> transactional. Uh, whereas if you think about you know, beyond intellectually understanding that relationships are important, we actually create this idea of relationship economics, which is how do you quantify the investments you make in those relationships? And by the way, social scientists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. So a million dollar question becomes which ones? And if you, if you believe the notion that it's an investment, you cannot invest in everybody equally. So how will you then prioritize which relationships you invest in? And a lot of leaders are very myopic of just the ones that are on my purview or just the ones that are on my radar. And what you're missing out on the ones that could be incredibly instrumental in your personal and professional growth. They could be incredibly instrumental in helping you identify that next growth trajectory for yourself, for your team and your organization. Yeah. So what does that look like? I mean, is it as simple as saying, hey, OK, I'm aware of it. I get it now. I just need to build a relationship. Or is there a process to it? I mean, is there a way to do it, a way not to do it? What's? Yeah, I, I learned years ago that that the reason uh, processes work is that they're predictable and they create a set of repeatable kind of predictable outcomes. So, again, we coach a lot of leaders identify the end result. We call those relationship-centric goals. What's the outcome you're after? Nobody builds relationships because they're bored. What's the outcome we're after? Next, we talk about pivotal contacts. Who do you need, right? Uh, Jim Collins talks a lot about this. Whenever we're faced with a challenge or an opportunity, we often ask, what should we do and how should we do it? We seldom ask enough who questions. So who do we need? By the way, for most of your audiences, there are no new challenges. There are no new problems. The only new challenges and problems are the ones you haven't seen yet. So who do we need who've already seen this movie, who's already been in this pitfall you're headed for? Next, we talk about your existing relationship bank. Who do we know, right? You know a lot more people than you think you do. The problem is we're all really bad at nurturing those and sustaining those over some period of time. We tend to think of them as transactional versus transformational. Mm -hmm. Last but not least is this idea of a relationship currency deposit. How do I invest in existing relationships that will create access to or an opportunity with the relationship I need to accelerate that outcome? Mm -hmm. Throw enough time, effort, resources at any challenge, you'll eventually get there. One of the most underdeveloped, underutilized, underrecognized assets of your relationships is their ability to accelerate your ability to get to that end result or that outcome. Mm, that's a great point. So when somebody is doing that right, and I'm just thinking not only for a CEO or a senior level leader, but a mid-level leader or new leader in a large organization, I can see that really playing a part because you've got an organization of people that can pave the way and help accelerate your progress. And it's not just a one person 
fight or battle, so to speak, you really need that level of relationships throughout that whole organization. Unequivocally, yes. Tell me yeah. what leader you and I've ever met who doesn't need or couldn't benefit from relationships to accelerate their path. Yeah. So I often talk about most relationship development, most networking fails because there's no purpose, there's no goal, there's no plan. So if you become intentional in that journey, and I talk about your journey from now to next, and not just what you need to accomplish, but what are those relationships? Who are those relationships, both inside and outside the organization, that are going to become rocket boosters attached to your shuttle, that mm -hmm. either have done that job or know how to do that job or know the pitfalls? You know, probably a lot like your dad. My dad drove into me, life's too short to make all the mistakes yourself. Mm -hmm. How do we learn from the experience of others? How do we learn from their journey to really uh, leverage those, never use, but leverage those relationships to get more done more quickly, more intentionally, and really accelerate that path again from now to next? And it's interesting because as somebody who has not always been good at that, because there's a large portion of my leadership career where I was the example of what not to do with that. It was, hey, let me just figure it out on my own. Um, and I, I've seen on the other side of that, I've seen sometimes where people have reached out and it's at a time where they there's a purpose, there's an agenda, there's they need something. And that's why we're suddenly trying to forge this relationship. But the smart ones are the ones that are really building those relationships proactively. It's not when you're at the point where you need something, okay, this person has something I need, but it's already having that relationship in place. You're exactly right. So at the moment, I, I, I do some advisory work for some private equity firms. And as you can imagine, the whole idea of private equity is they look to invest in underutilized assets, right? So they're going in, and there's a lot of capital sitting on the sideline looking for those good deals. One of the things that they look at is how to top grade they're the executives or the leadership team. And I'm often brought in at the tail end of the interview process to, to really help them discern between two on paper and in experience, two equally competent, let's just use CFOs, right? They've got great backgrounds, they have great experiences. I interview both. And what I'm asking are a lot of relationship-centric questions because we've built a relationship scorecard. And I can, with a high degree of confidence, give that private equity partner a glimpse in what we believe. This candidate will be more successful in this job because they don't have to have all the answers. They know where to go. They have the relationships they can tap into to find out how to do business in former Eastern Bloc or how to you know, get around the current supply chain issues because they've built and they've nurtured relationships in very diverse buckets, in very diverse environments that are going to help them set themselves apart and by such set the organization apart. That's interesting. And that's that's interesting that that is a, uh, a lens that you look through in assessing that top level talent. And that's something that, you know, many top leaders don't are not connected very well and don't have that at their fingertips, and, really. And, and, and as you alluded to, you've done it. I've done it. Most of our most of our leadership roles, we get very operationally mm -hmm. focused, heads down, butt up, focused on doing the job. <laughs> I don't I don't want to take anything away from that. To the contrary, I always said, if you think of nurturing relationships as yet something else you have to do, John, you'll never excel at this. Conversely, if you integrate it in everything that you do, it becomes second nature and you build and nurture these amazing relationships beyond the reason. That's very transactional. Beyond even a season where you work with somebody over some period of time, you start to build fewer 
but deeper, more meaningful relationships for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And those relationships become invaluable, not just when you need them, Mm -hmm. but particularly when you need them Mm -hmm. to really help you solve problems, find resources, get access to previously unattainable, whether it's capital or investors or partners or yeah. And, and that's exactly what great leaders do. One other quick point, the exact same idea applies in emerging leaders. So I often coach that next generation of leaders become develop a competence in your technical area. Develop a preference for the way you build and nurture relationships. Because technically, I need you to be competent, capable, be able to do the job. But I want to pick you. I want to insist on you. I need Steve or we need Beth or we need Javier on this because of the way he or she builds and nurtures relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to set you apart from everybody else who's also technically very competent. I love it. I got one follow-up question on that. Then I want to talk about your book. So we've got an audience, a wide audience here, some of which are that mid-level or entry-level leader that might this might be really resonating with them. And they're saying, okay, but what is the, this is out of my comfort zone. Like, what do I just pick up the phone or send an email to the CFO or somebody in there and say, hey, I'd love to just pick your brain. I mean, what's how do they do it? What's the action yeah. step? So number one, no growth ever comes from a place of comfort. So even for the introverts, even for those that genuinely believe this is outside their comfort zone, you have to start somewhere. And I would actually say, you know, go look at existing relationships. As I said earlier, one of my biggest assertions, you know more people than you think you do. We're just really bad at nurturing them. Go to and look at your undergrad. Look at grad school, classmates. Get on LinkedIn. Look at some of the people you may have worked with you know, in the last job or the job previous to that. And it initially, just connect. I would submit, John, that everybody has a BS radar. So if you, if you show up with an agenda, they're going to see right through that and you're going to get the Heisman Trophy, right? You're going to get that pushback of no thanks. Conversely, and and I love, you know, beginning of every year, beginning of every job, we call those triggering events. Reach out and and use this podcast episode as an excuse. I heard this guy talk about relationships. It dawned on me that I've done a terrible job staying in touch with you. I'd love to just reconnect and get caught up on both sides. Listen to what I, I, I didn't say I want to sell you something. I didn't say I want something. Let's just get caught up. My role, my career has evolved. I know yours has. And, and by the way, if you want to become more interesting, you may have heard this as well, become more interested. So when you invest in getting to know them and better understand what they're doing and where they're going, by the way, I point blank ask, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. There's this natural law in relationships. When you do that, the other side will simply reciprocate and say, very kind of you to ask, what's going on with you? What can I do to help you? That is not the time to fumble it. That is not the time to go, uh, 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 right? Yeah. Glad you asked. Here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm doing. I'd just love to, I don't want anything. Don't need anything from me. I just want to stay in touch. Mm-hmm. I would love to just kind of create a cadence where we keep each, you know, each other updated. One last tip for your audience. You know, Pre-pandemic, I would travel a ton. A lot of professionals will fly there, do their thing, fly home. A, it doesn't cost that much or hurt you to go a little earlier. Look up relationships through LinkedIn, through whatever other means you may have that you may have in that city. And I reach out and say, hey, John, I'm coming to your town. Would love to see you for a cup of coffee. Would love to reconnect over a meal. Would love to just kind of get caught up. It's been a while Mm -hmm. since we've seen each other. Mm -hmm. So use those opportunities to reconnect to re-engage, to really understand 
where they are in their growth journey and mm-hmm. how you can be an asset. If you do that authentically, it's amazing how often they'll reciprocate. That's a great point. And it's funny, I was in Boston recently. I reconnected with an old contact and we only got 15 minutes. But I will tell you, honestly, Noor, it was the most valuable 15 minutes and it was so much better than a phone call or a Zoom meeting or something. Uh, so point well taken. Uh, your most recent book, Curvebenders, uh, has been out since summer. Congrats, your 11th book. I know a huge success. What are readers going to take away? What are they going to learn uh, from this book? Sure. So full disclosure, it takes me about three to four years to think about research, interview, and write a book. I'm 53. Uh, even pre-pandemic, I was really curious about what the future of work will look like for me in the next decade. So we started to do some research on disruptions. And lo and behold, here comes this global pandemic that not just interrupted the way really disrupted the way we work, but also the way we live and the way we play and the way we give to others. So we got really curious. We researched a ton of different fields. We've identified 15 forces that we believe are going to create even greater disruption in the next decade than we've ever had before. So in face of that constant disruption, John, the assertion is to remain relevant, you're going to have to accelerate your learning and growth. For most of us, if we're learning in our jobs, if we're growing in our jobs, it's typically that 45-degree kind of linear growth, right? Learn, 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 maybe at some future in a point, apply it. And a good example for that would be our undergraduate degrees. I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I've visited differential calculus, right? So we don't think that linear growth is going to suffice. Conversely, I don't need a four-year degree from MIT. I just want to learn how to code. And interestingly enough, I can learn how to code in about 30 days, and I can use that to solve a very specific problem. Then I can learn something else, solve the next problem, and I can learn something else, solve the next problem. So as I daisy chain these learnings, what I now get is a hockey stick, not that truck ramp. Hmm. And our research shows the fastest way up that hockey stick is actually a few really strategic relationships we call curve benders. So imagine that professor at school, imagine that early boss that took you under his or her wings and didn't just teach you how to do the job. They taught you how to be an empathetic leader, how to be a servant leader. And they leave an indelible imprint on not just what we accomplish, but who we become. So again, those relationships I call curve benders. In the book, I created a map on how to meet potential curve benders much more impactfully I also talk about how we can all become curve benders in the lives of others. Mm, I love that. I'm thinking <clears throat> that exact thing as you're talking. I'm thinking, wow, you can benefit from a curve bender and then at some point become one. And uh, that's a great point. I love it. Well, I can't wait to get the book. It sounds like a great uh, a great read, certainly a lot of takeaways. Where can readers get a hold of it? We'll put it obviously in the show notes, but where can they go? Sure, it's available on Amazon and and uh, you know anywhere you get books. Again, the book's title is called Curve Benders: How Strategic Relationships Can Power Your Nonlinear Growth in the Future of Work. I love it. Excellent. Well, Noor, thanks so much for joining. This has been fantastic. I know we're out of time, but I could uh, talk with you a lot longer. It's been uh, been a real pleasure to have you. I know the audience has gotten a lot from you. John, I appreciate you having me. 
Yeah. And thank you for joining everybody. We've been here with David Knorr, uh, innovation consultant and author of the most recent book, Curvebenders, his 11th. Uh, be sure to check him out. We'll have all the info in the show notes. And as always, like, subscribe, share this episode, go down below, give five-star review. I appreciate your time today. Noor, once again, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P dot com. Thanks. Lead on.